0: Welcome to the Executive Suite, a podcast by the American Chamber of Commerce in Taiwan. My name is Julia Bergstrom. I'm the senior editor of Topics, our monthly magazine diving deep into the business world here. Each month, I sit down with a leading figure in the community to discuss management and gain insights that can help all of us in our careers. For this episode, I'm delighted to introduce Patrick Lin, AmCham Taiwan's new president. Patrick is a serial entrepreneur with extensive experience in the automotive and travel industries, having previously worked at Ford and Lion Travel. More recently, he was a White House Innovation Fellow, working alongside NASA and the US Department of Transportation. Welcome, Patrick. I'm excited to speak with you today and excited to have you on board at Amcham.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: I know you're still getting over jet lag because you were recently in DC. Yes. What were you up to in DC?
1: I was actually representing AmCham Taiwan. It was my first day on the job was being on the Hill, talking to congressmen and senators and different think tanks uh, about, you know, moving the AmCham Taiwan agenda forward. I was part of a larger contingent from Asia Pacific, the AmCham's of Asia Pacific.
0: Oh, cool. Hitting the ground running. We're really happy to have you as our new president, and I'm sure that our more than 1,100 members are very curious about how you ended up here. So can you walk us through kind of this journey from studying at MIT all the way to AmCham president?
1: Sure. So, hmm, where to start? So... At MIT, well, maybe I could go a little bit before MIT. So right before I left MIT, I spent about five years in Taiwan, and at that time, I came to Taiwan in I think in 2009, around the financial crisis. Uh, I was working in the healthcare investment banking biotech sector, and in that time, nobody wanted to invest in biotech because you know we burn a lot of money in that sector, <laughs> um, and so I came to Taiwan to spend more time with family. Mm-hmm. And originally, I thought I would spend maybe a year here trying to figure my life out. And, you know, things snowballed and I started making friends and tried to start another company here around the restaurant reviews and websites. And one thing led to another. And I was happy to meet the chairman of Lion, Lion Group, Lion Travel, uh, Mr. Jason Wong, which you guys should have on as well. Yes. Um, And he said, this is very interesting what you're doing in the travel industry. We need to help people find good places to go. And so I joined, and they were very gracious to let me represent them on AmCham, actually. So my first interaction with AmCham was when I sat on the Travel and Tourism Committee and I did a lot of work with them and representing, you know, bringing Taiwanese uh, travelers to the rest of the world, including the United States. Um, So I helped the company IPO in, I think, 2013 or 2014, and that was an amazing experience. And I went to MIT because I felt like I needed to rebrand or find a way to have a more global influence, and in, mm. you know, reconnecting with if I wanted to take my career out of Taiwan. Right. So I decided to go to MIT. MIT was one of the greatest experiences for me. It was probably where I found professional confidence. I went to a program called the MIT Sloan Fellows, And my classmates were all very accomplished. They all came from, you know, very successful backgrounds from all walks of life. Some came from, I think we had a guy that was head of Deutsche Bank in South America. We had government officials from Singapore. We had special forces from US military. And so when I first got there, I was like, wow, I don't really think I fit in. I (laughs) I helped a travel company in Taiwan IPO. But it was where I found my professional grounding and professional confidence, because I realized as we went through the program together day in, day out, they were my peers. Mm. I learned from them and they learned from me. There were things they were better at. There were things I was better at. And, you know, to this day, they're still some of my best friends, my classmates from MIT. And I think that experience led me to have the confidence to say, okay, what do I want to do next? And. I remember at that time I had a job lined up when I graduated to go back to Silicon Valley. But we took a trip to D.C. um, I think one month before we graduated. Mm -hmm. And one of my professors pulled me aside and said, hey, Patrick, you speak Mandarin and you lived in Taiwan and you lived in the U.S. But maybe you should get some China experience.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: And then so I so this is really scary when you're in school one month before you graduate, you decide to do a whole new job search. Yeah. And I was like, OK, this is interesting. I got a lot of good advice to maybe look at stuff in China. And I s- did a whole new job search in China. And I was lucky enough that Ford welcomed me to join them there. What was funny was Ford was my lowest offer. But everyone told me when you go to China and you want a soft landing, go with a U.S. company, a culture that you would understand. And it's one of the best experiences I've had working with Ford in Shanghai. I worked at first in their corporate strategy team. They had some of the best mentors and organization processes there. Eventually, I worked my way to become what is their head of Autonomous Vehicles team. Mm-hmm. That was very exciting because Autonomous Vehicles was, is still on the cutting edge of technology. And I think everyone's still trying to crack that.
0: Yeah, and that was back in what year?
1: Fifteen to nineteen ish. Yeah. In well nineteen, that's when I joined the US federal government. Yeah. And that was actually because of the work I had been doing with Ford. So yeah. And then make a long story short, I think working with the federal government for a while, that, you know, showed me, you know, how things could even be bigger on a bigger stage. And I really enjoyed my time there as a presidential innovation fellow. Yeah. Yeah. And then so that led me to have a lot more autonomy agency Mm -hmm. to look at different projects, including things that were happening in Taiwan. I remember I helped a few folks write a paper on how Taiwan could be more engaged in the what we call UAV or advanced air mobility world. Oh, Um, oh, okay. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so it was exciting time. It is still an exciting time for Taiwan, and this is why I'm here.
0: Yeah, now it's a very exciting time. And I know you said it just in passing, but it's quite an interesting part of your history, right? As the White House Presidential Innovation Fellows Program. So this is a program that pairs top innovators from the private sector, nonprofits and academia with top innovators in government to kind of find solutions to problems and deliver them quickly. But tell me more. What did you do as a fellow and what did it teach you kind of about public-private partnerships, which is a really important part of Ancha?
1: So uh, I think I'm very blessed uh, to have been chosen to be part of this program because I think every other fellow is probably much more accomplished than me and much smarter. And, yeah, they, they're <laughs> like wizards at what they can do. And so you're right. Exactly. So I think this program was started during the Obama era mm-hmm. and where they realized that some of these new issues, especially the technological issues that we face as a society um, – Those skill sets are new and not within the federal government. Mm. And so we – this is my interpretation. You can read the website. But I felt that they were bringing us the key thought leaders, the key people who are on the front lines of a lot of these issues into, okay, how do we shape our thinking, either our policy around this or fix specific problems? We had guys going in there. I think um, healthcare.gov is a good example where there was presidential fellows that went in and just fixed the whole website. a lot of the backend issues as well. I was lucky enough that I was chosen because of my background working for autonomous vehicles within autonomous vehicles at Ford and to look at, you know, how the U.S. government should think about this entire sector. And that broadly went into automation in general, AI. And then one of the things we were allowed to do was do cross- department, agency activities. And as a child, I loved NASA. So Mm. I was like looking for projects at NASA. And I was lucky enough to work with JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory at Caltech, and also with the headquarters and Ames as well. So it was quite exciting working there, working with some of the smartest people, the most passionate and dedicated to civil service, public service. Um, Yeah, it was quite an honor and eye-opening experience.
0: Wow, that's really cool. And I mean, autonomous driving is such a big talking point right now as well. It's also in the August issue of Topics magazine. Did you guys focus on implementing it for industry use or for private drivers or?
1: Yeah, so I'll talk about both sides. So um, what's quite interesting, why I only realized this after I joined the federal government is that, you know, where should regulations really be? Mm. So when I was in private sector, I was always thinking, why doesn't the government just tell us what are the minimum specs are, mm-hmm. what are the safety requirements, and then we'll just build it and we can build <laughs> to specs, right? Yeah. But when I came to the other side, I realized that, well, a lot of times, what is the right answer? It's hard to come up with. Today, there's about 40,000 roadway deaths in the United States, mm-hmm. and that's with normal vehicles, driven human-driven vehicles. Now, what number should we be comfortable with when it's autonomous vehicles? Mm. I think everybody wants that to be zero. But if it's zero, then we'll never have autonomous vehicles because there will always be accidents.
0: Of course. Right.
1: But how scary. I think for most people, it's very scary to sit in an autonomous vehicle knowing that there's a chance there's an accident. Mm. So, yeah, we dealt with these kind of problems all the time. And they're kind of almost philosophical sometimes. And then, you know, I think MIT has this thing called the. Something ethical test or autonomous ethical test where they they're like, OK, if you're going down this road and there's no way to avoid it, would you run over an old woman or oh. a young boy? Right. And then so it's an interesting thing. You guys can go look at it. But what we are doing is pre-programming this into a, a computer software. It right. will have to choose between a lot of these scenarios. Right. So, you know, we're in some ways. It is an ethical issue to think Mm -hmm. about when we're talking about robotics. And I think the hot topic today is now AI. Yeah. And seeing how broadly AI can change our lives. And I think AI married with robotics kind of hits our physical lives as well.
0: No, definitely. So as ethical as it is technical, I guess. and. Going back to your experience as an AmCham member, how was that? How do you feel having been a member and now being responsible for the organization? Is there any inspiration you draw from that experience?
1: Definitely. AmCham Taiwan, my first time around, when I first came to Taiwan, my first real working experience in Asia, in Taiwan, AmCham was a lifesaver. It was a guide. It was such a great wealth library of knowledge, and it was like a professional home to me. I have tremendous respect for AmCham Taiwan, and I think now that I have opportunity to come lead AmCham Taiwan, I feel like it's coming full circle to pay it forward because AmCham Taiwan had has done so much for me personally. I met some of my best mentors, best friends, relationships, all through AmCham Taiwan. When I spent five years in Taiwan earlier in my career, it showed me how governments work with industry, which I had no idea how that mm. worked. And I think it was lucky to be in Taiwan where where in some ways, I don't want to say small, but approachable enough with government, with big business and medium, small, medium businesses, where I probably would not have had that exposure in the U.S. if I was at that point in my career in the U.S. Yeah. So Amcham Taiwan, and I think Andrea was president at the time, Andrea Wu. Mm. She's now our standing vice chairman. She ran the um, uh, the, the chamber f- like flawlessly. She's the gold standard and <laughs> something I aspire to. So, yeah, um, that was probably like very eye-opening for me, Amcham Taiwan. It brought me into a whole new world of, wow, you know, we can actually impact government. We can actually help shape society. That's amazing and it's probably what led me to you know early seeds of serving in civic in, in government and uh, you know coming back to Taiwan now for Amcham Taiwan is quite touching and emotional for me
0: that's incredible and you say you met some of your most influential mentors there as well so that's the topic that when it comes to career and building your career that is quite prominent, right? What role do you believe mentorship plays in personal and professional growth? And what have your mentors taught you about leadership and business?
1: Mentorship, I'm 100%, 110% believe in the power of mentorship. And they're some of the most fulfilling relationships I've ever had, both as a mentee and a mentor. Over the years, when you develop a relationship with someone where they want to see you succeed, Mm -hmm. and when you care about someone else to succeed, I think it's a very nurturing, um, it's almost like harkens back to who we are as human beings. You know, we build these connections and we want to, you know, see each other succeed. Especially, I meet a lot of young Taiwanese or Taiwanese or American folks starting out in their career. And I feel every time someone comes to ask for me for advice now about their career, first of all, I I felt it was weird because (laughs) I was like, uh oh, am I at that stage now? But I'm actually grateful that it happens because it allows me to watch and participate in some of the most talented people's career. And I really enjoy that. That's probably one of the things I really enjoy. And without my mentors, I don't think I could have gotten to where I was today. Not I'm not saying I'm anywhere
0: mm.
1: tremendously successful, but it's definitely shaped who I am.
0: Definitely. And what is your management style now? How, what has that shaped into What are some of the principles or values that guide your decision making?
1: I think the closest description I've seen is uh, servant leadership. Uh Um, And this came about when I was really switching over from being an individual contributor to becoming more of a people manager. Mm. And as an individual contributor earlier on in my career, it's all about, okay, how do I shine? How do I how do I show I'm better than everybody else Mm. and, you know, get the highest metrics or KPIs, but becoming a people manager, a team builder, I realize it's really facilitating other people for their individual success. Mm. And that is where I have found uh, I really enjoy doing this. I really enjoy helping other people succeed. So yeah, if there's one word or one phrase to describe it, it would probably be servant leadership.
0: Sounds good as, uh, <laughs> as your employee. <laughs> I feel very optimistic about that. And let's maybe help someone listening succeed a little bit because you're also a serial entrepreneur, right? You've initiated many projects and companies and innovation is very vital to any company. And Taiwan especially has a very flourishing entrepreneurial community. So what advice would you like to give someone looking to start their own company?
1: Anytime you're starting something new, the best way I've seen it described is Zero to One, the book by Peter Thiel. Mm. Because going from nothing to something, you're bringing something new into this world. You're conceiving something. It's infinitely harder than any iteration from one to two, two to three, three to N, whatever Mm. it is. So you will face tremendous challenges. My advice is you will make mistakes. Mm. Be comfortable that you will make mistakes many mistakes, don't give up because you're going to get a thousand no's before you hear a yes. Mm. And to have a little bit of thick skin, but also know that maybe don't think of them as mistakes or failures. Think of them as learning experiences. Mm. You've tried this, you know, it doesn't work. Pivot, move to the next thing, work as hard as you can, pull every relationship you have and then some, and then, you know, see where you get. And, Because the worst thing I think for entrepreneurs is regret. Like, oh, maybe if I did this, Mm. then it would have worked. Try everything. And I think in this day and age, with uh, entrepreneurship being accepted, I think people will understand that this is your baby. You're going to do everything you can to see it succeed.
0: Absolutely. I think regardless if you're an entrepreneur or working at an international company or at AmCham Taiwan, there are many challenges to overcome. One that comes with being in an organization like AmCham is managing different stakeholders, right? So do you have any particular approach to decision-making when you're facing multiple perspectives or opinions and how to deal with them?
1: Yeah, I think... This short answer is with respect and persevering communication. Mm. I think actually if we look at politics or we look at business or any facet of life, I think what we need is more respect Mm. and understanding and communication. And I'll talk about U.S. politics a little bit. This is where I find that we need this the most. I always think of politics as a noble profession, but it's boiled down to You know, yes, the average American, what they think about politicians is probably think it's lower than car salesmen and lawyers and everybody. And that's a real shame because all these folks I've interacted with, I think they all started out with very noble ambitions, Mm. right? And our political machine has broken down into sometimes just talking points. And I think in some ways we're lazy that we are not engaging people with different points of view to really understand why do you feel this way respectfully and like almost like you know they're your family member mm. if we disagree on something let's talk about it let's really get to the root and then i will rebuild my understanding with your new input yeah. and you will rebuild your understanding with my new input and so we have this constantly elevated discussions we are constantly moving up with more understanding and better communication So coming back to business, I would say it's the same way or, you know, government, politics, anything. We really just need to understand each other and respect each other's point of view and Mm -hmm. then dig deeper.
0: And I guess that's something you also learned coming from a multicultural background, because you would describe yourself as both American and Taiwanese. But what does that mean for you to be both?
1: Yeah, so this is um, probably something I've been dealing with my whole life. It's funny because whenever I'm in Taiwan, I feel very American because I think people look at me, look at the way I dress, look at my body shape, look at anything. They're like, oh, why (laughs) Korean, right? (laughs) Um, But when I'm in the United States or, yeah, especially when I'm in the U.S., I feel very Asian and Taiwanese. And it's maybe this – I've heard the term third culture kid Mm -hmm. or uh, other things, other ways to describe it. But, you know, what I pull from this is it's allowed me to – identify clearly who I am from both cultures, right? So I think both the United States and Taiwan are very driven in technology, innovation, and t- democracy. So I think that's kind of embraces who I am as a person. Mm. When I lived in places like uh, Shanghai, people would always ask me, are you American or are you Taiwanese? And I would say I'm both. Yeah. And you know, they're like, but they're so different. And I would say, no, we're not so different. I see that there's a lot of similarities. Yes, there are differences and there are uniqueness, but I I think that's all part of who I am.
0: Absolutely. And that's something I guess will be very useful for you as uh, president of Amcham Taiwan, because you need to understand both cultures and both sides. Now, looking ahead, it's your second day in the office. You started out in D.C., but what are your... Long-term goals for the chamber and for AmCham Taiwan, and how do you want to achieve these?
1: So many folks have asked me this, and I've always deferred, saying, "Give me a while, give me three <laughs> to six months," because I really want to understand. I have principles. I would say that I I want to make AmCham the most trusted voice in the room. I want mm-hmm. to make AmCham critical in any government decisions. Like well, they always seek our advice. You know, where we're a respected voice in the room. So. I think that's the principle I'm going by. I really want to understand our members Mm. before I have any larger vision beyond that. So, yes, please bear with me. A lot of folks have asked me this question. (laughs) And, yeah, I'm comfortable saying I need to hear from everybody first.
0: Absolutely. And then we go upward and onward. And it's going to be a busy time. It's a busy job. It's daytime events, nighttime events, building relations, leadership, but you can't always be working. So what do you do when you don't work?
1: Well, I love to travel. So maybe this is something from when I uh, was working with Lion, but I find travel, finding new experiences and old experiences to be something I really enjoy. Uh, I really love music. If you know of good jazz bars, please let me know. I love classical music. One of the things I've always enjoyed growing up in Taiwan is that we have a fabulous national concert hall we have world famous guys that come through and they're really accessible that we can just go buy a ticket and go watch so i really enjoy that and yeah i think we talked about this earlier i love sports i love skiing snowboarding and um i recently got hurt in april i broke four bones two ribs two in my ankle snowboarding in tahoe and it was quite funny because I had skied literally all over the world. I skied in Davos, Switzerland. I skied in Japan this year. But it was in Lake Tahoe where I spent probably most of my life skiing that I got hurt. And I think it's just because we Americans kind of push things further.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Is this part of being a risk taker or is it kind of a lesson of getting too comfortable? Well, so this (laughs) time
1: someone ran into me. Mm. I don't do crazy stuff on the slopes anymore. I just try to Get down. But uh, yeah, I would say, you know, someone basically rear ended me going like 40, 50 miles an hour and I had a wipeout. So people ask me, would you give up snowboarding? Yeah. And I don't think I will. All right. I really enjoy it. There's something about being up there, um, seeing the beautiful views and, you know, just kind of surfing down a mountain that really clears my mind. And yeah. like, I really enjoy, I enjoy life yeah
0: no absolutely coming from a snowy cold place myself i completely agree luckily taiwan is very close to uh, some good ski slopes in japan so i'm sure you'll have plenty of opportunity come winter time so i'm very happy you wanted to be on our podcast on your uh, second day at the office and kind of allow us to get to know you better and see what kind of person you are and um, we're coming to the end of the show now. And this is the executive suite because we love sweets at the amcham office. And you made yourself very popular on the first day by bringing some to our office. But I'm curious to know, is there any particular memorable dessert or sweet that you would like to share with us?
1: Memorable. The first thing that comes to mind is a gigantic gummy bear that I have seen, uh, w- I saw when I was with my niece. Oh. Um, I think it was like five or 10 pounds. This thing was ginormous. Jesus. In the U.S.? Uh, <laughs> yes. I think I think it's almost a gag gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember like flying off the shelf at the store we're at. I don't know if it was Walmart or Target or one of these places. I think it was around Christmas time and people were buying these things. Uh, and I was like, I just remember thinking – I don't want her to buy this. I don't want her to want this because I would get in trouble buying this for her. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the most memorable candy or sweet I've ever seen is a five-pound gummy bear.
0: Maybe the scariest, too. Yes. So did you buy it in the end? No. Okay. But
1: if you guys want, I'll look for it and bring it to the (laughs) office.
0: (laughs) Our last guest was Stephen Pan, and we asked him what he would share with guests to elevate their experience. And he said his very own champagne tea. So I wanted to share that with you as a token of our appreciation.
1: That sounds amazing. I think I've heard about this, the sparkling green tea. Yes. Oh, that sounds amazing. It is
0: delicious. It's alcohol free. So it's a good substitute when you want to have a refresher in this hot summer weather. Well, thank you so much for coming today and talking to me. It's been really great. I'm sure we'll see you around a lot more in the Taiwan business community. Thank you very much. This was the Executive Suite, an audio version of what we cover each month in topics from the American Chamber of Commerce in Taiwan. We are now in print, online and wherever good podcasts are found. In this feed, we will also be bringing you monthly updates on the major domestic and international beats moving Taiwan. This program was created with help from Ghost Island Media, Taiwan's leading podcast label. Make sure you check out their other shows. I'm Julia Bergstrom, and I'll see you next month.